Anthony, an honor and a pleasure. I say that as a long, long time fan of your work, but you're working with the Smirnoff team. How exactly did that one come about? I was fortunate enough to get a call from Smirnoff two years ago now, uh, asking me about a partnership with them. And uh, here we are, opening day at SoFi Stadium, talking about being a cocktail coordinator and all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm dialing in. I'm a New Yorker, but I'm dialing in from Park City, Utah. And what gift did they give us when we got here? Uh, Smirnoff. So I think we know uh, it is <laughs> the real deal. Do you have a favorite of the Smirnoff varieties? I, I love it all. You know, unbeknownst to me, I had no idea that Smirnoff was the number one selling vodka in the world until we started this partnership. It's always been a staple in my house growing up. Uh, and in my house now, even more so now that I'm, a, I have a partnership with them. Right. Do you know what specifically they're looking for in that cocktail coordinator position? Uh, well, I'll tell you how you can apply. You can uh, upload your 60 second video to bestjobinamerica.smirnoff.com. Uh, and uh, being a cocktail coordinator is just what the, the title uh, implies. You know, passing out the right cocktails to the right party guests. You, you know who they are and you know what to do. And, and just having fun. Friends, family, food, and football. There you go. A lot of Fs right there. You, compliments go to you because you are hilarious when you want to be funny in a role. You can act like no other, in my humble opinion, as a dramatic actor. Where you are in your career now, is this where you want it to be? Or is this, there's so much more to come and the best is yet to come? Uh, combination of all of that. Uh, it, it's where I want to be. And I realize that the best is yet to come. Uh, you know, I'm just getting my, uh, you know, my feet wet. You know, it's been 25 years. Yeah. But it's been a, a great learning experience for the past 25 years. And I'm looking forward to the next 25. And are we going to see more and more things that are just produced by you rather than you being on camera? Or do you want to produce, write, direct, everything? I, I want to do it all. Uh, you, you'll see more things that uh, I'm behind the camera on as a producer, a creator, uh, and even possibly a director. But, you know, acting is what uh, I believe my energy was created and put on this earth to do. So that will always be a hat that I wear. But I'm looking forward to giving other people the opportunity to tell their stories uh, and share them with the world. Okay. Well, down to the last two questions here before I let you go. First one is, what's the last concert that you went to for fun? Ooh, the last concert that I went to for fun. I, I, okay, I'll start right here and tell you, I just missed Alicia Keys two nights ago here in Los Angeles. I missed that because of work and I was supposed to be there. Now, let me think about the last concert that I went to for fun. Sure. Wow. It's a didn't great mean, question. Didn't mean to stump you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you, you're stumping me good. Good. Um, let me think about it. Um, Jay-Z. Oh, no, it was a J. Cole concert here in Los Angeles. Okay. Lots of J's there. And the last question I got for you, because I'm dialing in from Park City, Utah. Have you ever been here before? Sundance, slam dance, vacationing? Uh, I've been to uh, 
Park City for Sundance. And I've been in Salt Lake City filming movies and television shows. So I'm very familiar with Salt Lake City. Well, bottom line is this. Thank you for speaking with me today and looking forward to that next project from you, whether it's Smirnoff, your writing, directing, acting, producing, whatever it is. Just keep up all the greatness there, Anthony. Thank you, Darren. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for your time. Outrocast. Have you always been the punctual on time one of the band? <laughs> no, not always. No, not always. We all have our moments, but uh, yeah. I booked this room specially, so uh, <laughs> it was relatively easy. I can imagine. Well, you know, before I ask you about London Bridge, I was wondering if it is fair to call you the Stuart Copeland of Blur. And by that, I mean the multi-instrumentalist who has all the interesting hobbies outside of music, and you don't always realize that it's the same person who's doing all that stuff. Well, I've certainly had an interesting and varied career. You know, let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, I've done lots of things. I've got lots of interests. Um, so, yeah, I'll certainly concede that much. Don't that, know much about Stuart Copeland, actually. I don't know what his interests are. So maybe maybe we are the same. I don't, don't suppose many people know what my interests are. <laughs> well, hey, finding success as a director, composing for different projects, politics you know the wonderful nonprofit work that you do related to recovery etc cetera, etc cetera. you don't really realize like hey that's the same guy who's from a multi-platinum band that's had a career for 30-ish years and so you know taking those compliments from me right there was it the goal all along to have this varied of a career at the beginning or did it just organically happen no not really i i don't I've never really had a plan, to be honest. That's why it pings around all over the place. Never had a plan, always done what seemed most interesting at the time. And uh, I've discovered fairly early on that uh, when, the, when the, you know, you could take an interest in something, these things don't have to hit you and be in somehow inherently interesting. And actually I very much doubt whether there is anything that is fundamentally inherently interesting. I think interest is a is a is a is a, something taken by the beholder. Like beauty is in the mind of the beholder. Interested is in the sure. is also in the mind of the beholder. And so, um, by a bit of I discovered that by a bit of kind of application and uh, and determination and having taken a decision, you could uh, become interested in almost anything. Find something interesting in almost anything, shall we say? That interest in the eye of the beholder. Did you just come up with that one? I've never heard that. And that is so applicable to everything. Uh, yeah, I just thought of it there and then, like most of the sentences I use. <laughs> Write it down. I'm not asking for uh, half the publishing. <laughs> that, that one is all yours for the next album. But uh, I'm sure there's a nice, there's a cuter way of putting that. But uh, anyway, that's that's what I discovered. And that, you know, that's been my kind of mantra, really, looking for, looking for the, the interesting angle in things. What is it I can learn from this? And uh, so I've done all kinds of things, you know. Fundamentally, there's been a there's been a kind of uh, guiding principle, a couple of guiding principles, really, mm -hmm. all of which are applicable to the to the record. Um, I uh, I come from a kind of rather uh, chaotic family, shall we say, which, I, which I'm not certainly not going to go into. But uh, one of the less chaotic things 
about my growing up was uh, the time I used to spend with my dad and both he used to be a, a radio engineer in the RAF and so electronics was his baby and so he and I used to sit around the kitchen table building radios together and uh, that was you know some dads took their sons to the football while my dad and I built radios and then we would we would listen you know we would build them we had a big long wire aerial in the back in the back garden and uh, we were building different kinds of radios and uh, then connect them to this wire aerial and and see what we could tune in tuning in stations from all over the world and that became a kind of that idea of tuning in stations from all over the world you mm -hmm. know that that was a, a big motivator for me you know it was something i did a lot growing up and uh, it changed my life in a lot of ways and it's the reason the album is called radio songs Right. Um, first off, it, I, I grew up in a small British town on the east coast, a, a nowhere town. Nobody's ever heard of it. You know, it's kind of, it's not famous for anything. Nothing happens there. Like, maybe I'm doing it a disservice. It was, it used to be the, in the Roman times, it was the capital of England. But uh, since then, its uh, notoriety has gone downhill somewhat. <laughs> When that happens, a good thing about it is you get the street or the area named after you. Is there a Dave Roundtree Plaza? As you talk about that? I sincerely doubt it. <laughs> I sincerely doubt it. But uh, um, the radio was my kind of window to the world outside, you know, this small town where I grew up. It was, you know, I would, I would lie awake at night um, tuning through the dial, flicking the dial, tuning in all these stations from all over the world, listening to the weird and wonderful music and the languages that were being spoken and just kind of dreaming of a world outside my, my bedroom, you know. And uh, one of those stations that I came across was Radio Moscow. Radio Moscow used to have, a, maybe they still do, an English language news service. And my dad, like many people who were, was in the RAF, the RAF is the you know the 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 uh, aeroplanes part of the, uh, the the armed forces and right. uh, it's a very technical service as you can imagine if you're not a pilot you're you're doing something very high tech and interesting and uh, so uh, when the, when he demobbed as with many of the RAF they they all joined the BBC the um which was the kind you know we're talking the 60s i guess 50s 60s when uh, when the BBC was just growing and, you know, people te with technical skills were looking for somewhere to go. So my dad worked for the BBC. We had the kind of, uh, the, 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 the kind of right of centre, I suppose, centre-right newspapers delivered every morning. And it never occurred to me that there was a different world view other than the one presented on the BBC News and in the... <laughs> yeah. It just never occurred to me. Nobody had ever told me there was... And then I listened to Radio Moscow, and Radio Moscow was clearly berserk. You know, this this worldview was clearly had some issues, but uh, but uh, it was a, that was my political awakening, really. The idea that even though uh, Radio Moscow wasn't a particularly uh, accreditable news source, there was more than one alter alternate uh, perspective on the world events. You know, it sure. was possible to draw different conclusions from the same events. That was, you know, as a kid, that was like a wow moment, really. I never, I never even realised. Of course, of course, there is. You know, and that was my political awakening, really. So you know, radio in the when I, when I called this album radio songs, I didn't do it for meant songs to be played on the radio. Though hopefully there will be, but uh, it was really because radio, for that and many other reasons, has been a kind of constant 
in my life it, and it has been it's been there for me in various ways yeah you know through through the years so that that's the kind of one that's sort of one side of things i guess the other side and so that's spawned all kinds of interest in electronics and computers that sustain me to this day amateur radio all this kind of stuff making things you know i'm a maker long before being a maker was a thing you know i've always built my own studio gear and stuff like that but yeah. uh, I suppose the other is when I when I when I was approaching middle age. I have to say, sadly, I've now approached middle age. But uh, when I when I was on the uh, entrance ramp to middle age, just deciding, you know, whether to join, which lane to join, um, I had a bit of a, a bit of a crisis, as many men do. And I think m the reason for mine was I. Um, I'd lived a very odd life, you know, being been in a band for most of my adult life. Yeah, seeing um, yeah. all the world in your 20s, 30s, 40s, I get yeah. it. Uh, so many yeah, yeah. experiences and so many late nights out, to say the least. Yeah, and, uh, but there's a, you know, I believe music has a power to, a very, very powerful thing, has a power to, to transform individuals and all of that kind of stuff. You don't really see that in a band. You know, it's not like being a music therapist. You basically, when you're actually making, creating the music, you're locked away in a studio. There's you for the producer and maybe somebody making the tea. And that's it. That's You see these people, same people for months on end. Right. When you're playing on stage, especially, in, you know, when you're successful, there's hundreds of thousands of people out there. If you say hello, they all scream. Yeah. Kind of, it's, it's a thing. I get it. It's fantastic, and I absolutely love it. I wouldn't wouldn't stop doing that for the world. It's not you. Do, you don't get sense of kind of making a distant difference in people's lives. And I found, after some experimentation and some wrong turns, it has to be said that that was what I was missing in my life. So a lot of what I've done, perhaps in the should we say in the second half of my life, has been about trying to find that. that uh, those spaces in which I can one-on-one -on -one help people look them in the eye and, and try and, and try and transform their lives for them in some way. So that's what led me to becoming, joining the Labour Party and being activists, running for, running for office in various ways. That's what led me to becoming a solicitor. Um, I guess the one thing that I can't explain is the animation thing. That's just bizarre. I just, but well, honestly, Todd Rundgren did the animation thing. We've seen a uh, Rudy Sarzo from Quiet Riot's a big animator. There's a good number of people who do that crossover and just see it as it's so different from sitting in a bus, and it's so yeah. different from waiting in airports, and so creatively <laughs> fulfilling, and also yeah. aids into their computer skills, like being early computer adapters. Did you start off in computer-assisted animated? Uh, project. Oh, absolutely, and that's that's always been my thing. Three D animation, you know, Toy Story esque three D three D animation, and I've always, I uh, I've always been on the on the kind of technical edge of that as well as as well as producing finished work for various people. So you know, I've been one of the people writing animation software and stuff. Um, but uh, yes, I guess I just got kind of captivated by it, you know, and it was uh, it was in the. 90s i quit drinking a year 25 years ago at least you know you wouldn't believe it from uh, some of my behavior but i honestly did and uh and uh i found that one of the things that 
alcohol does for a touring musician is it enables them to get to sleep at night. Obviously, after having a punch up and being sick on uh, whoever true, they've yeah. brought back to their room. But uh, after that, you know, they get to sleep at night. And I, so I found for literally years I was dreadfully insomniac, and terrible. And uh, I'm, I'm over it now, I can reassure you. But uh, what I discovered was that uh, if, you, if you're insomniac, you can either fight against it and kind of tossing your tail. Oh God, I can't believe I can't get to sleep. Oh Christ, look, it's six o'clock in the morning now and I still haven't had any sleep. You can do yeah. that, and I did that for a long time. Or you can just go, oh, well, I'm not going to sleep. Might as well get up there and, and uh, get up. And I found that those early morning hours were, were magical, really, really magical hours. You know, that kind of two, three, four in the morning when the world stops and uh, you can fully concentrate on something. You can give it 100% of your concentration. And so I've been intrigued by animation and I, I, was, I was thought, I wonder how they do that. How can you bring something to life and give it personality? How does that work? So this was back in the VHS cassettes days and I, I had to, some Warner Brothers cartoons on VHS cassette and you could flick through it a frame at a time. So I just spent for months on end, those those early morning hours, flicking through these cartoons a frame at a time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. That's how you do that. That's interesting. And uh, this was at the beginning, I guess, of the time when you could um, start to do those kind of high tech things on ordinary ish computers. You know, you could spend few thousand pounds on a computer and you could you could run the professional software i mean up until a few years before that you needed to spend a million pounds on a computer now you oh yeah pounds on a computer you know so that was a and you know a few years later you could run a laptop but uh um, <laughs> it, you know, the technology keeps becoming time. half the price and half the size yeah. Over and over and over again to the point that yeah. you can animate while you're just waiting on something, uh, waiting on your coffee. Oh, you could do it on your, I mean, your, mic, your phone is infinitely more powerful than my computer was in those days, most definitely. But uh, yeah, so that I was interested in how it worked and how I could do it. And so, you know, I spent those, in many ways, that insomnia was a blessing, really, because, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I just, I did rediscovered the joy in all kinds of things, you know, learning, especially I, as, a, as a young kid, I loved learning, just loved it, just luxuriated in it, you know, and I went to this school where it was all about the joy of learning. And then I went to the next school where it was all about rote learning and there was no joy involved and that kind of finished yeah. out for me. And after that, I gave up school really, did, did the minimum I had to do to get away. Yeah. But, uh, those kind of early morning hours, I rediscovered the joy of exploring something and that, you know, turning something over intricate in your hands just for the sheer pleasure of it, you know, and that's something I've continued to do ever since. So a lot of the things, a lot of the obsessions I've got, I've passed exams in, you know, flying and amateur radio and all kinds of other stuff. I've, I've, uh, I've just decided to, uh, to to take exams in it all, you know, and kind of just for the sheer fun of it, really. So yeah, that's 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 where all the chaos comes from. It all comes from somewhere, you know. It's it's all it all seems fairly rational to me, but I can see from the outside it must seem berserk.
No, no, you're speaking my language. <laughs> and, and, and bring it back to the kudos related to your solo album. Uh, London yeah. Bridge is the first song that most people are going to hear from it, have heard from it. Sometimes yeah. artists put out a song because they go, well, that's the first one that was written, the first one that was done. And other times somebody goes, no, that's the hook. Uh, why or how did London Bridge become that, that focal point? Was that cooking vinyl saying this is the single? Well, I took lots of uh, advice from lots of people, most definitely. Cooking vinyl had an input to it. And, you know, I asked people I know in radio what they thought the, the first single should be. Fundamentally, you have to go with your gut, don't you? Really, sure. with these things, and I think there's no, there are no tracks on the album that are kind of representative of the album as a whole. It isn't really that kind of an album. It's cohesive, but it's uh, it's made of uh, it's made of many disparate parts. So there wasn't anything, you know, there wasn't like a title track, you know, there was no track called Radio Songs or anything. So. Uh, I just thought, well, you know, I want to get out of the box with something that, uh, that's got loads of hooks that people are going to want to hear. That's something that might stand a chance of getting on the radio. Um, you know, I want people to be talking about it because, it, the, you know, it's the first, the first part of the campaign where you get to make a splash, really. Right. Later in your career, you can afford, as Damon always does, to put a completely misdirection track out. <laughs> You know, a kind of uh, just one choir, you know, with somebody beatboxing yeah. behind it or something. And everyone goes, oh, this new album's going to be really weird. And then he puts it out and, you know, it's something entirely different. You could afford to have that luxury after a while. But for this one, first album, first single off the first album, I wanted, you know, I wanted to make people sit up and listen. And especially many people in the Blur fandom know I was making an album. Uh, nobody had any idea what it was going to sound like <laughs> that that's so, a good point people were excited to hear that music from you and they knew hey this is a guy that plays a bit of every instrument but we don't know what it sounds like so it's cool to hear that it's a significant meaningful solo album the the story that you just told about how your childhood experience of building radios with your father and listening to that and how radio inspired you not just you know politically musically i have to assume comedically too because comedy came to me from the radio that's a wonderful wonderful story that's in fact that's a little too great of a story as opposed to <laughs> these are 10 songs i had sitting around <laughs> yeah but the, you know the, the the there are mundane aspects to it as well you know the, the songs were really weren't written with any particular project in mind, you know, I'd signed a new publishing deal with uh, with uh, this great company in the UK, and there's a really really switched on guy there that believes in uh, just setting up random co-writes between two not really random, but you know, setting up co-writes between pairs of writers on his label. He says, never a waste of time. You never know what's going to happen, you know, and uh, I all. I love to, you know, music is a collaborate, collaborative thing to do for me. I love to, I love to collaborate on musical ideas. So that was, uh, so that was music to my ears. So I just went along with it, you know, and I've written a lot of songs in the past, but again, not, not really, it's just an, an itch that you scratch as a musician, I think, rather than anything else. Um, but anyway, so I just started 
writing, and the, the, he had a bunch of very eclectic writers on his on his uh, label, and uh, things really, you know, really started working really well. I was, ended up with kind of, you know, 15, 20 songs, most of which were quite good, and that's a that's a good hit rate. You know, normally you expect, well, for a, especially the early in your career, you have to write, you know, 10 tracks for each decent one. You right. Know, I was getting like a 50% hit rate with this, you know, or better with these writers. And so I was thinking, wow, this is, you know, and I've been, I was thinking about, you know, it was at the time, there was lots of things happening in the UK and, you know, the things that my childhood had come into relief for various reasons and, you know, that kind of stuff was going on so I had a lot of churning around in my head and very cathartic to write all this out and it's you know you're a, you're a writer too are you not and uh, you know that the difficulty in writing is the first word that's the hardest one yes. isn't it kind of it's a bit of downhill from there on but you know it's like god what am I going to write oh Christ how am I going to what am I even I don't even know why I'm doing this I can't do this what am I going to write you know but getting, getting, uh, have and you, you did continually. You know, I, I, did. I, look, at, yeah, yeah. I look at your discography. You have a co-write, you're forced to do it. There's a deadline attached to it then. So it's like you can easily spend the whole day going, I can't even do this. You can spend a whole day doing You can spend a week doing that, you know. But if you've got, if you've got a co-write on Thursday, you've got to come up with something. You can't turn up with nothing. So it was, it was liberating, you know what I mean? I had some dates in the diary. I had to come up with stuff. And you have to, you know, as I'm sure you know, you have to permit, give yourself permission for it to be crap. For otherwise, you would never start. If it has to be great to start with, you will never ever start. Permission. So, uh, I, <laughs> so you have to say, all right, the first thing I'm going to write is always crap. So let's just get on with it. What's the crappiest thing you can write? Okay, <laughs> moon in June, blah 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 blah. There you go. Oh, yes, absolute crap. But actually, those last few words work quite well together. And if I put that over what I wrote yesterday and blah blah, blah then you're up and running, you know. So uh, anyway, so it was great. It was very very liberating, and uh, I ended up with most of the songs written in a fairly short period. Actually, that way, so the, the kind of lyrical musings are all are all around you know around sort of similar th thoughts that were going through my head at the time. And uh, the music kind of, you know, sounds relatively cohesive. They're all songs. They're all kind of meaningful. Hmm. Well, two quick questions, then I'm going to let you roam free. And these might be 10-second yeah. answers, or these might be two-minute answers. Uh, the, I, the I first... don't give 10-second answers, as you've gathered. You didn't even ask me a question. I talked for 20 minutes flat. You didn't even say <laughs> anything. You didn't even say hello. No, this, this was a good head-talking answers. <laughs> well, the, the first one I got for you is blur like means different things in different countries. Like in some countries, you're a stadium act. In some countries, it's like a theater act, but you'd sell out the theater in 20 seconds. You know, in some countries, it's just the most mainstream thing. And other things, it's more of a cult following. And I have to assume you accomplish so much more than you ever set out to. But is there anything that you haven't accomplished that you're still hoping might happen because you know putting yourself here in new york you can't go to a sporting event without hearing song too like it it won't die whether or not the people know that that's blur it's just such a cultural impact but is there anything you're still hoping will happen for you or blur well 
I think our best album, you know, this is such a middle-aged bloke in a band thing to say, but I think our best album is still ahead of us. I really do. I think oh. we're just getting the hang of it. Really? After all these years, we're just figuring out how to do it. <laughs> so, uh, and actually, this, it takes far less effort than we thought it did. You know, the, the, I think uh, what we found in the last album, which admittedly was quite a long time ago, was that, uh, you know, much like I was describing to you with... Uh, with uh, um, how I wrote the songs on my album, you know, it's a matter of having the time in the diary and the determination to do it. Sure. It doesn't really matter how much time you put in the diary. It's the, the kind of, the hard bit is the, is the creativity. You could do the mopping up later. You can do the boring bit later on. You know, coming up with the creative ideas, filling in the blanks in them, all of that stuff. Outrocast. <laughs>